Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as... The Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. So definitely join in on the conversation. You can find all our social media links and so much more at OchoDuroParlayHour.com. Join in on Facebook. Join in on Twitter. Join in on Instagram. Join in on Podchaser. Drop a five-star review while you're there. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPH. Kicking off this episode, we finally got confirmation. Well, let me put an asterisk by it. We think we have confirmation Mm -hmm. Nothing's finalized yet. For the last big MCU casting for Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. A while back, it was announced that the... I'm going to call it Phase 2 of the MCU Disney Plus universe, so mm-hmm. to speak, yeah. was announced because, obviously, we, we know that WandaVision is coming. We yep. know that Falcon and Winter Soldier is coming. Mm-hmm. Loki, we know, is coming at some point. WandaVision is coming sooner than you think. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Pad might have an exclusive. Mm-hmm. We know that there are some shows lined up, but then there was a big second wave tier mm-hmm. of shows that were announced. That we found out that She Hulk was coming. Yep. We found out that Miss Marvel was coming, and we found out that Moon Knight was coming to Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And obviously, over the past couple of weeks, we've had some casting announcements. The role of Miss Marvel was casted to Iman Valeni. Mm-hmm. That. Tatiana Malzny uh-huh. is uh, going to, is set to play Jennifer Walters, aka She Hulk. Yep. And today, as we're recording, yep, it's still highly confirmed. Like it's ninety percent there. It, it's coming from a very reputable source, but they're not saying this person is Moon Knight. It, I'm reading from the article. Deadline quote: Deadline is hearing he is in negotiations to star as the title character in Moon Knight. So not a done deal yet, but it sounds like they're getting close. No. And who is in that role? One. Formerly known as Poe Dameron, Oscar Isaacs. Yes. Or excuse me, Isaac. Isaac is returning to the comic universe. Yeah. Obviously, we know him more fondly as the one only Poe from the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. We try not to think about him as Apocalypse hey. in X-Men Apocalypse, which I, I guess... This, I, this is his redemption story, though. You know, much like you know Ben Affleck had his quasi-redemption with as bad as Daredevil was. He came back and was a pretty good Batman. Yeah. Uh, you think of Ryan Reynolds and how awful that Green Lantern movie was. He had a redemption as Deadpool. Yeah. This could be Oscar Isaac's redemption. I fully think it's going to be because obviously X-Men Apocalypse was not yeah. was not one of the most well received. We're going to set up the Phoenix and then completely ignore it in the next film. Yeah. That, hey, don't, listen, don't worry. He, he's getting another crack at a major franchise. He's going to uh work on the uh the Battlestar Battlestar Galactica franchise for a movie. You know I'm not a fan of that franchise anyway, so uh-huh. uh, I Battlestar Galactic I'm going to be avoiding that one like the plague. I'm sorry, like I I like uh, um, Katie Sackhoff at oh, Starbucks, yeah. but 
Everybody else on that remake, I just I couldn't get down with. I'll I'm say, sorry. Battlestar Galactic fans, if you haven't seen some of the newer X Men films that Simon Kinberg has worked on, I am so sorry. Yeah, it's it's one of those uh, areas that I'm excited for the three five three five five though. Yeah, so I'll yeah. I'll, be, I'll be definitely checking that out. But as far as uh, Battlestar, not so much. Mm-hmm. But like I say, we we gotta get back to the comic universe. Yes. obviously X Men Apocalypse, kind of a letdown in, yeah. in, a, in a lot of fans' yeah. eyes. So. Yeah. Obviously, Isaac took a lot of heat for his role as Apocalypse, even though... I don't think he should have had any heat to begin with. It's not his fault. Yeah, he I can, It's like in a lot of other instances. You know, like Michael Fassbender with Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. You know, for as bad as that movie is, I it is not Michael Fassbender's or James McAvoy or even, hell, Sophie Turner's fault. They are all good actor and actress. Yeah. You know, but it, it's just they're given what they can to work with, and there's only so much they can do. Right. And obviously, it's not all the realm of thought for a good redemption story a la Ryan Reynolds, Green Lantern, mm-hmm. Deadpool. Yeah. So I'm very excited about this. And like, yeah. like I say, we now finally have the trilogy of the new phase of Disney Plus shows mm-hmm. signed because, like I said, Meslani is set for She-Hulk. I mean, yep. I know there's been some rumors that she yeah. hasn't confirmed, but... Yeah, that came out from some pretty reputable places, and then she went, no, that's not true. Yeah, I, I think that might be just a contract issue, in me my think, opinion. Methinks she doth protest too much. Yes, so I think that they would not have ran with that if mm-hmm. if it wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. So Meslani is signed up for that. Valani is all set for Miss Marvel, and yep. then Isaac is coming as Moon Knight. Now, this is a very interesting story because Moon Knight, Pad, do you know a lot about the character? No. Okay, the easiest way I can describe him to fans that are not used to him, think about Batman with multiple personalities. I've heard that comparison. Yeah, and just from his storylines, they kind of go in a lot of different directions. Like, What what did somebody say? I saw somebody online say that he's going to be the MCU's Batman, but with powers, I think is what they said. Well, he has a very weird history because mm. in the comics, uh, Mark Spector is a, like a, a CIA agent. He's a mercenary. Mm-hmm. And he goes through this kind of like archaeological uh, job that he's doing and he's left for dead. And then he gets saved by the Egyptian god Konshu, mm-hmm. who gives him a second chance, but he's his avatar on Earth. So it's mm. basically. Think about like if Batman and Ghost Rider kind of mixed a little oh, bit. Oh, okay. You know, like how it's it, a scary thought. It, it is in that degree because obviously you have the skill set of you know XCI agent mm-hmm. and mercenary mm-hmm. with a very decent sized bankroll, and you're empowered by an Egyptian god. Yeah. So, like I say, it's a weird amalgam, but it works. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you see that he does have one very unique. Uh, trait that is well known that is not compared to Batman. Mm-hmm. He has multiple personalities. Ah. So he has a couple identities. One we know is millionaire Stephen Grant, mm-hmm. and he has taxi driver Jake Lockley. Mm. So throughout his history, and like I said, he's been around since 1975, Werewolf by Night 32. He's had his a couple different uh, incarnations throughout the comics mm-hmm. that are very good reads. I mean, the Doug Moanick and Bill Sankowitz run is always a very, very good one to check out if you if you want to get a taste of what he was supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, he's gone in some different directions way over the years. Mm-hmm. I know the Charlie Hudson, um, David Finch run is very noteworthy. Warren Ellis had a run with him. I believe Michael Brian, Brian Michael Bendis did, too. And you see a lot of different incarnations of what the character has been. And he has this very big cult following. I, I got to say this. 
when it was announced, I was not super surprised. Mm-hmm. But I'm the first thing I thought of is how is this show going to work on Disney Plus? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of his story arcs are very closer to Netflix and Hulu, mm-hmm. shall we say? Sure. Then. Disney Plus, because Disney Plus we know is, is going to be all PG-13, they, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that they're going to go against that. I think you might see a very hard PG-13 yeah. rating for yeah. the show. Yeah, I can see that. Because if they want to really dive into the character, and there are plenty of ways to do this, it's going to be a fine line they got to walk to really stand out. Well, and it's funny, and, it, and it's good that you brought up the Netflix aspect of it, because there is a Netflix connection to this show. Oh. Uh, one, Jeremy Slater, uh, and I'm reading from the uh, Deadline article, quote, Jeremy Slater, who developed and wrote Netflix series adaptation of the Umbrella Academy comic books, oh, okay. has been tapped to develop and lead the writing team on the series for the streamer being Disney+. Plus. That's very exciting. Uh-huh. And I, I, I fully got to think that they're going to pay very good homage to the comic storyline. It just depends on what version they want to go with. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that with how complex the character is. I mean, on paper, like I say, he looks like a, a cheap ripoff of Batman. Yeah. Because he has the millionaire toys and I know he has like, you know, the different ships and the the moon batarangs and, and what such. But once you delve into the character, he's very complex and whatever in, incarnation they want to do of him, mm-hmm. they have a lot of area to grow. And that's the one thing that I don't know how they're going to exact, exactly pull this off, but I think is something that for fans, you got to be excited about. Yeah. And I just don't know which incarnation they're going to do. And like I say, I, I got to stress on that because in the recent years, Moon Knight has elevated his status in the comics. And he's right. had a lot of A-list creators really take a run with him. Mm-hmm. They've gone in some very unique directions. I know there was the one um, when he was really trying to connect with the MCU. I, I want to say that was Bendis' run. I might be wrong about that. Please mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong on social media. And it was he was like thinking he was part of the Avengers. Or that might have been yeah. Hudson's run, actually. Yeah. But he also just delves into like what personalities are, are in that and then how much of it is all in his head, which I think Warren Ellis was really doing because mm-hmm. that's when he created the I, the Mr. Knight um, persona. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it was either I want yeah I gotta say it's him. That's the one he's in the three piece suit. Well, so I'm reading from the uh, yeah I'm reading from the deadline article quote. Most recently, the character was a consultant who dresses in all white and goes by the name Mister Knight. Yes, which that's just so weird to see that he basically is in a three piece suit fighting crime throughout the streets. I mean, it's no weirder than seeing Apocalypse in a three piece suit. Yeah, I still haven't gotten over that. Uh huh. I'm sorry, that still just messes me up in the head. I can't even get my head wrapped around that but i digress with moon knight though you have to be very excited about what they're going to bring to the table yeah and i think that whatever incarnation they want to do they have a lot of storylines they can go with they could obviously plug them in with most everybody in the mcu yeah. so i wouldn't yeah. doubt that you see a crossover of maybe a street level avenger so to speak could be because i know you would see him mostly tied in with the midnight suns and the Daredevil universe as well, because he's more of a grounded superhero, even mm-hmm. though he has the powers of Konshu through him, and just how weird that gets. And obviously, if you've read anything lately mm-hmm. with Moon Knight, and I know that he's been the major antagonist in the Avengers lately, which is kind of like a mild spoiler, it's really a lot of area where the mind can get very creative and run with this. Yeah. Well, and, and they've even now... Uh, picked or tapped a director for the series which given you know the backstory and in the kind of the history of the character you know the the egyptian aspect this uh, directing choice now makes sense uh they've chosen uh mohammed diab to direct the moon knight uh 
Marvel series for Disney Plus. Uh, and then reading from his uh, Wikipedia page, it reads, quote, Diab wrote the b- blockbuster Egyptian franchise El Jazeera, or The Island, uh, films, which are one of the highest grossing Egyptian films of all time. Uh, it says the films revolve around a tyrannical drug lord on an island in Upper Egypt. El Jazeera is often quoted and referenced in Egyptian pop culture and was the 2007 Egyptian nomination for the Academy Awards. Uh, so, and he has won a couple of awards overseas, a bunch of awards overseas, I should say. And uh, most recently, he did uh, win a uh, Silver Hugo Best Film and Silver Hugo Best Actor Award at the Chicago International Film Festival for a film he worked on. So, uh, relative unknown here in the state side, but very popular over in the Egyptian side of things, which you're bringing in an Egyptian director for a. Uh, Marvel character who's got Egyptian ties makes all the sense in the world to me. Yeah, no, this absolutely is a perfect setup so far. Like, on paper, this show looks like it's going to be a home run out of the park. Yeah. And obviously, Isaac is going to bring so many layers to the character, which you have to. Yeah. I think if you try just throwing him in there and have him be a Batman wannabe, for fans that don't know the comic, they'd be like, why am I wasting my time? Mm -hmm. But if you talk to, like, really hardcore fans about this, like Rich and Ron from 3FN, legit mm. are hardcore Moon Knight fans. I'll say, my, just thinking off the top of my head, I can't remember if he's ever been any, because I haven't been the biggest Marvel reader over the years. Um, I haven't read any of his comics. I can't remember if he's ever shown up in any of the animated series, maybe for like an episode or two, but nothing huge. And then in terms of the video games, I know he's a playable character in one of the Lego, the, the Lego uh, Marvel video game that's not based off the films. Mm-hmm. The one that's comic based, where it's like every Marvel character you can imagine and then some. Uh, but then he was also an ally in the Spider-Man video game Web of Shadows, where he's there and he kind of has some lines and he plays a part in it, but it's not like anything major. It's basically, he basically just gives you quests. He's like, oh, hey, go here. Oh, hey, follow me. And it's that's kind of like the extent of it. Yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of been more of a low-key mm-hmm. superhero because obviously to try getting him on like an animated show, yeah, it's a tough sell. Like I believe he's been on one of the Spider-Mans. I uh, could lately. be. That would make sense. But to really try to dive into it, I, th- I think it's a lot to explain his character to a younger audience mm-hmm. that I think that maybe that's why you, you haven't really seen him as much. Yeah. I mean, I think he's been on the most recent uh, Avengers cartoon because mm. I know he does have a history with the Avengers. Right. Uh, being a member of the West Coast Avengers at one point, mm-hmm. comics, 80s, 90s, enough said. <laughs> so that being tied all together that I think, yeah, he's been on a little bit here and there, and I think more so with the Spider-Man cartoons. But mm-hmm. it's only been like a cameo, so to speak, like when they've done major crossovers like um, with Venom yeah. on the cartoons yeah. that you have to bring in everybody. Like you can't do Maximum Carnage, but he no. could be a character that's in there. And like I say, it's just for temporary purposes. Because, like I say, if you try deep diving into his character, it's mm-hmm. so complex mm-hmm. that I really think this is going to surprise a lot of people. Like, how Daredevil surprised a lot of mainstream yeah. fans. Yeah. Because everybody knew, okay, it's a Marvel show. I know the MCU. I know the Avengers. And when you turn that on for the first time, it's like, And, and especially smoke. with the uh, film that had come out, you know, a couple years prior with Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. You know, for as much as people like to forget it, a lot of people don't. No, a lot of people don't. I mean, I think that one suffered a lot, though, from the Batman versus Superman syndrome. Yeah. You combine two different, three different eras of comic book writers that are vastly different, i.e. Stan Lee meets Frank Miller. There is a distinct difference in storytelling and vision. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work if you try meshing everything together. I mean, that's the same fault I give Batman versus Superman, that you tried, you tried making the story way too complex 
when you should just streamline it. Mm-hmm. So as long as they avoid doing the over-the-topness here and try combining too many elements that you can't get your own clear version out, I think they'll be okay. Mm-hmm. I really do because with Oscar Isaac attached to this, you have an A-list superstar that has been, is very well known to your fan base, is very well known to the major fan base. Oh, yeah, especially since, like we mentioned, he was in the Star Wars franchise. He yeah, was in the uh, Fox X-Men-verse. Uh, he's also going to be up in, he's in the uh, upcoming Dune film from Dennis Villanueva. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he is recently signed on to the HBO limited series Scenes from a Marriage. Uh, you know, He's going to be in that with Jessica Chastain. So he's been in some stuff. Yeah, he's definitely been in there. And to bring a big A-lister like that to Disney+, Plus, I mean, it's a feather in their cap. Yeah, yeah. But I think that Disney+, Plus is doing this well because they're showing in the success of The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. You can come to TV, and it's not a step down. And I think getting a big, you know, obviously give unknowns a chance. And, you uh, you know, don't cast A-listers for everything. But I think in this instance, you needed to have an A-list because he's not that well-known. She-Hulk got people have heard of, and even Miss Marvel, obviously, with the most recent video game and her and her popularity in the last few years, you know, are exceptions to that. But Moon Knight, relative unknown, despite his kind of rise in popularity with the comic fans and the comic verse, mainstream audiences may not know who he is. And when uh, Moon Knight eventually comes out, whenever that is, because they've not said anything about production or release date. Right might see oh moon knight's getting ready to come out and if it's like relative unknown or kind of you know been in a couple things but you might not like the one uh what is it i'm watching cursed on netflix you know the frank based off the frank miller cartoon and the one character in that show arthur i'm like he looks really friggin' familiar he played uh barry he was in barry mm-hmm. i was like oh that's where he's from you know so going that route it might be oh i reckon it, but i'm not interested in that but with casting a big name actor like oscar isaac you're gonna turn a lot of eyes onto that oh there's gonna be so many eyes turned on to this and i think that's just a more of a win for a transition phase for the MCU. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it. With the movie lineup coming out, we know Black Widow is going to kick off the eventual some run. At some point. We know Shang-Chi has wrapped up filming yep. with only three people cast that we know of. Yeah, that's that's real good secrecy. This is good. They must have taken a page out of uh, uh, Favreau's book. I, I can't even wrap my head around that. Yeah. The fact that that was actually confirmed that they're done filming. Mm-hmm. So the movie w- will be ready whenever they decide to get the slate back up and running. Mm-hmm. We know Eternals is presumably done. Uh, presumably, but at this point, who the hell knows? Yeah, that's one I'll believe it when I'm in the theaters for it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the slate is kind of wide open. We do know that Spider-Man 3 is in filming right now. Yep. We do know that Love and Thunder is... Also, yeah, they're stuck. getting they're getting ready. They're getting ready. I, I see. I think the last thing I saw was a photo from Chris Hemsworth on Instagram. I think it was where they were all together, like the cast and the and the producers and directors were all together in distant, and they were going through a, a script read. Yeah. So this is going to be something that once they start plugging and playing everybody in there, you're going to see that the next phase of Disney Plus is going to have more of an impact on the MCU than you realize. Mm-hmm. That I think that whenever they decide to do the next Avengers film, mm-hmm. whenever, and like I say. I don't think I don't think we're getting an Avengers film this phase. No, no, we're not definitely not this phase. I would no. say phase six. Well, okay. I'll even throw okay. that out there because okay. if you really want to diagnose what I'm all right doing, with that. Yeah, I am too. Like they, don't, right they don't need to rush anything. Because Christ, if you keep doing them fairly regularly, you're going to blow through all your stories. Yeah, and I think that they're just waiting to do Avengers Forever. Oh, okay. First with Kang. Sure. Like, that's my guess sure. with it. And then I think that after that, the ultimate game is going to be Secret War. 
Yeah, that, that that's presumably. Yeah, that. Well, and the Russo brothers say that that's the only project that they want to come back for, and they yeah. and Disney goes, "Oh, we made X amount of money with you two filming Infinity yeah. War and yeah. Endgame. Uh, yes, when would you like to come back? We can make this happen." Well, and especially look at the other tracker of the other movies they worked on too. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they have just basically laid out the blueprint, but now that you have the other properties in the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you can go a lot of different directions. It just depends on what they want to do with Fantastic Four and X Men, mm-hmm. which I think that they will get. They're working on that. Yeah, they'll get. They'll get done sooner than I, later. I don't. I don't. I think the smart thing would be to bring the Fantastic Four in, like Spider Man. Mm-hmm. You know, you can work them in that way. You don't have to do an origin story. We've seen it twice. Everyone's very familiar with the Fantastic Four origin. Yeah. Uh, but then X Men, I think you should weave in kind of slowly and gradually and build to it. Yeah. Don't 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 do another film. People are real burned out by the films right now. I feel like, uh, but kind of slowly build that in. Well, you definitely got to take your time with it because obviously everybody has a unique opinion mm-hmm. of the Fantastic Four, yeah. and the X Men movie versions. Yeah, I mean, some people really liked them. Some people really didn't. I like the original one. Yeah, I mean. They they do work in in whatever aspect you want to look at. Like I didn't mind the first Fantastic Four. I got yeah, what, fir- I got what they were trying to do. First Fantastic Four film is good for its time. Now, yeah, not good, but for its time and for what we had then, it was yeah. good. It was good. And then the last Fantastic Four, we don't hey, talk about. We, that, we have nothing that never to say. happened. No, it didn't. And that's why, like, when you take a look at what they did with the X Men franchise, they've had highs and they've had lows. More more lows than highs. Yeah, unfortunately, but yeah. I think it's just what you try tackling on source material and what vision you want to run with. I think it just or not having a vision at all. Yeah, I mean, it's just is it was just not fine tuned. Like no. you take a look at how other universes are mm-hmm. that when they're not that you know set in stone, and you give a lot of wiggle room for interpretation, mm-hmm. they're not going to connect. Like I said, after Days of Future Past, it should have been locked up. Like okay, what we're doing next? Yeah, you when you try forcing an apocalypse and you don't really nail the landing on that yeah. so to speak yeah and then you attempt yet again dark phoenix which i'm sorry you can't do dark phoenix in one movie no it has to be two well i think part of the issue was is you look at how that whole franchise started with x-men x-men 2 and clearly building a world setting the stage introducing characters and what have you and then things didn't go real well when they did the you know last stand mm-hmm. all right reset you know, all right, first class again, build the world, introduce the characters and go everything. And then they did days of future past, which okay. F- you know, that's a lateral movement. Sure. Makes sense. But then I think at that point it just became, Oh, we got to keep up with Marvel. We, we got to keep up with what they're doing and we got to keep on pace with them. Otherwise we'll fall behind. So whereas Marvel, yeah, they're doing, you know, fairly well-known stories and stuff there. It's not their home run, you know, every you know, every best every movie is the best captain America story ever. One, two, three. The best Iron Man story, one, two, three. You know, like they're they're using stories and they're mixing stuff together. Whereas we're gonna do Days of Future Past, huge X Men story. We're gonna do Apocalypse, huge X Men story. We're gonna do Dark Phoenix, huge X Men story. Yeah, it's just when you try keeping up with the brand that's already set, it's a tough deal. Mm-hmm. I think with Moon Knight though, they're gonna have a lot more wiggle room. That I think yeah. the only comparison you might get is okay if you have this street level superhero working in your favor. How soon are you bringing back Daredevil? How soon mm-hmm. are you bringing back the... Oh, people are already Netflix? asking that, yeah. Oh, yeah, but it's going to be tied in the mix that if Moon Knight takes off, where do you go with the character after that? Well, and Moon Knight presumably is going to be filming far enough in the future that the whole rights and Netflix thing won't be an issue. Right, so... Because I, th- I think that whole clause of the contract is up next month, I, th- I want to say. Last I heard, yes. Yeah, so yeah. November, I think... Sometime in November next year is... Uh, not next year, next month, is when Disney can start using the character again. So 
they're in the middle of casting and figuring people out. They can very easily, you know, when they go to write the scripts and film the show, they can work them in. And they're definitely a, a big place for Mark Spector in that universe. Too. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have a big prominent role. I don't think you cast Oscar Isaac just to be one and done. No. I think that they have big plans for him in the future. And like I say, I would not doubt him winding up on the newest version of Avengers when we get to that oh, point. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. That I think that you're going to see a lot of the characters you see now getting introduced on Disney+. Plus tying in with that universe uh-huh. more so. So it's going to be a very interesting slope when we walk there, but this casting has got me excited. Uh-huh. I definitely want to go check out some more Moon Knight. I'd say in the meantime, if you want some story recommendations, hit up Cheers to Comics, hit up Wednesday Poll List, hit up a lot of our friends on the independent podcast team that cover comics. They will be able to give you some. And like I say, you just have to really find your interpretation, the one you really want to dig, because there is so many ways to read Moon Knight <laughs> That it's not just so cut and dry. Like, I always remember him from the mid-90s when he was drawn yeah. by Stephen Platt. Oh, okay. Like, that was the big one because he was the next big artist that was getting uh, going to Image mm. at the time, if, if memory serves me right. But he was the next big artist to break out. And just how he was drawn Moon Knight was absolutely insane. Yeah. To see where he has been written over the past years by Bendis, by Warren Ellis, and just how the crazy that interpretation got. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the original version from Doug Monick and um, Bill Sankowitz is amazing, too. Like, there's so many ways you can read the character and find new ways to make him fresh. It's just crazy to see the evolution of this character. Now what we got to guess is we're going to see on TV, I can't wait. Sign me up first day. Yeah. Lock and loaded. Yeah. That being said, hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPH. Oscar Isaac is Moon Knight. Are you excited or are you not? And what's your feelings for Disney Plus moving forward in their next phase of the MCU? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Well, hello there. I'm Brian Wayne, host of the Cheers to Comics podcast, and I'm here to bring you the ultimate comic book podcast for readers and lovers and collectors of all levels. Whether you're trying to get caught up on last week's books or you're just looking to check out the latest interview with the latest creator, this is the podcast for you. So, if you're looking for a comic book show that doesn't stray away from the topic and you're looking to get an insight from a true fan and lover of this industry then tune into the cheers to comics podcast three times a week as i brian wayne raise a glass to this wonderful wonderful industry that is comics cheers hey this is mike c from horror zone 607 and you're listening to the odph the most killer podcast on the planet Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and I'm going to be recapping yet again Fear the Walking Dead. Okay. I am surprised at how well I actually really like this series. Me too. I yeah. How much I, you like it, I mean. Yeah, because obviously we've talked about this in past episodes. Not a fan how it started off. In fact, I was hoping the family got eaten alive in the first season. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, I make no If shame I still have the text messages, I could provide evidence, but no, it's true. Yeah, but this show has grown, and I mean grown, this season alone has mm-hmm. been some of the best Walking Dead shows they've done, period. I'm using I know it's kind of a bold statement, but sure. well, yeah. But I stand by it. Obviously they came off a strong premiere mm-hmm. involving Morgan, uh who was played by Lenny James. But obviously if you have him leading the charge, it's not gonna be that bad of an episode anyway, because he's right. just an amazing actor. But this one they've been doing, like I said, as an anthology, it's been isolating each character on the show, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and letting them really kind of spread their wings and grow. 
So this one, though, ties in with Dwight. Uh-huh. Now, we know him as being the former right-hand man of one Negan and obviously played still by Austin Emilio. Uh-huh. And you see how he has been on his way uh, with Maggie Grace's uh, Athea uh-huh. traveling um, basically documenting about the walkers and they're on assignment by Virginia, who is like we talked about previously, their version of the governor oh. that she's forcing them to scout and basically keep track of how walkers are, are, act, are roaming the streets and such. And this is the first time I've kind of really dived in on their characters for a little bit, because we do know about a little backstory that Athea has made this connection with a character known as Isabel uh-huh. and discussing about a rendezvous point and Dwight who has grown since the last time we saw him, obviously getting exiled from the survivors mm-hmm. by one Daryl Dixon for obvious reasons. Yeah. He now has a lead on where his uh, ex-wife is, the one that was pres- presumed killed. Gotcha. But then Negan obviously uh, kind of dismayed that a little bit. So he's now in search for it, and he does have some leads. So they do have some great scenes back and forth in this, which I have to mm-hmm. really applaud is that you see the growth of Dwight and when they're trying to head to the building they're going to, they do come across the end is the beginning spray painted on a wall. So obviously somebody's laying a trap for it. They've been talking about this since the first episode, that at the end of that they had somebody spraying the end is the beginning on the side of the submarine. Uh-huh. So once again, you see a little uh, quick shot of that. But as they're going, they do have this back and forth about, like, why are you going after, you know, this, this mysterious person on the phone and uh, Athea's addressing this. And you see this like I say, budding friendship oh. happening between them. And it's obviously nothing romantic. It's just two friends that are kind of accepted that they've been chasing after somebody that they don't think exists. And Dwight goes into about how he's been trying to find Sherry, his ex-wife, and he's like, I have one lead, and here we are halfway across the country. Yeah, I'm trying to find them now. How does this all play out? It's a very cool back and forth, and they're also talking about like a little throwback to – about uh, skunked beer mm. that obviously you can you can kind of just tell the state of the world is going on by the beer that has gone way past its due date, aka right. it's skunked yep. beer. So it's it's kind of like a little fun throw throwaway scene, but it's still something that you see the growth of the character because Dwight we haven't really seen spread his wings in a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, since he's been added to this group, it's been kind of a unique dynamic, obviously, coming off the Negan situation. Right. But this is one where you kind of see him really having a redeeming moment because once they're trying to go to the building where the rendezvous is supposed to happen, they are coming across people that are infected. Now, not infected like the zombie infection. We're talking bubonic plague. Oh, yo. Yeah. Yo. So this is kind of a... Frightening. Yeah, they have really added the horror back to the show. And this yeah. is what I love about Like, I'm not the biggest horror movie guy, mm-hmm. but I do like it when it's subtle on shows. And for The Walking Dead, this is what I've been waiting to see. Not everybody's all happy-go-lucky and hilltop and yeah. the kingdom. Yeah. No, like, this is real. Like, Oh, yeah. This is... Okay, people are really sick, and you have to expect this with no medical hospitals going on in the zombie apocalypse. But the fact that they have a plague breaking out, bubonic is the definition, I, I believe, is what it is. Uh-huh. They come across these uh, group, and their group leader, who I believe is named Nora, is telling them to stop um, trying to get to the helicopter because last time somebody did, they got killed. Uh-huh. And Dwight is taking this too hard, and he's saying, look, I understand what you're trying to do, but this might not be the safest. Uh-huh. But Athea is still... 
let's go, let's go. While they're going with this, they do come across the typical zombies that are running through the building. And I have to give fully applaud to the special effects crew of The Walking Dead. Sure. That's the one consistent from the show. Right. That no matter what brand you go to, they deliver on creating these worlds and rooms that are just completely scary and frightful and just how a zombie apocalypse should be. Like, I think they they do it so well. And as they're going through the building and they're trying to get up to their ways, you do see that Dwight has been infected by said plague, mm-hmm. which I think was very cool because at the first moment, I'm like, are you telling me that after all this time, he now is infected with a zombie apocalypse? Like, how how is this going down? Mm-hmm. But when they're fighting for the survival, they're going through, they do get saved from the walkers that they've been battling back and forth by Nora, who does lead Athea to the roof. Now, when this is going on, something clicks in her. Okay. That she is like, okay, I could, I could have my rendezvous. I can escape and run away. Because even Dwight was saying... I'll make up a story. And he had this whole elaborate plan about how to comprise their escape, Mm -hmm. about faking that um, Athea uh, got killed. Mm. And so he's like, yeah, I find a zombie that looks like you. And I'll just say the camera was there and broke out. Like, it was so well broken down. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just like, where has this character been? Because last time I remember, he took the iron to the face. This is something that I'm like, okay, now I understand the dynamic and why this character matters. Just the complete change of heart that he went through, you're also seeing on Athea. Because once she gets up to the rooftop, she shoots off the flare to warn the helicopter who's coming there, hey, this has been infected, people are sick, you don't want to come here. Mm -hmm. And she basically sacrifices her own happiness to save these people, to save the people in the helicopter. But what they do is she also guides them. uh, Isabella is guiding her via the walkie-talkie and says, I left you something, there's a crate and he has medicine for your group, and mm. also has uh, some skunked beer. Uh-oh. Because this has been kind of like a back and forth that she's been chasing after this person, and somehow beer is always tied in the connection of it. So once they go in and they wind up saving the day, mm-hmm. because this is one of the rare times they have a Walking Dead happy ending, so to speak, mm-hmm. Athea also breaks down that the sickness has also been transferred to the rats okay. that are going through. And that's how it's spreading throughout this town. So that's very uh, reminiscent of the Black Plague back, yeah. at, back in the olden times. Right, which I'm going, okay, this is kind of like a throwback. But Drawn is, on history. But this is brilliant how it's done. I'm saying, for those who don't know, the bubonic plague still flares up every now and then, just unlike you know medieval times where we thought bloodletting was a legitimate medical uh, thing to do. Uh, we've got vaccines and, and other ways to take care of it now. Yeah. So when this is going on to... This, they have been carrying walkie-talkies, mm-hmm. and Athea hears about a woman that's on the walkie-talkie who saw the flare and is saying that she's also going to meet up with them. But yeah. it's not it's not Isabel. Yeah. So Dwight catches wind of the voice, and it turns out to be his ex-wife. Uh-oh. That he's been tracking down since he, the moment he left Negan's camp, or was exiled. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they have this happy reunion in uh, in one of the alleys by the building that they're in. Which I'm like, mm. how is this a happy ending on The Walking Dead? I don't understand this. But you know what? I was okay with this. Okay. That this did not exactly turn me off as I thought it would because Walking Dead, I don't I don't like to see anybody happy on this. Right. Because you should be miserable. You should absolutely have nothing going on in your favor. But they wind up giving Dwight a moment of peace. I mean, obviously, Sherry is there. We don't know the extent of what's going to go on there. But... 
It's anybody's guess of what's going to happen moving forward. The teaser for next week, though, they do show uh, one of the other characters and where he's going to be involved. I'm not sure. I believe it's John Dory, mm. who is like the police officer, and how he's got he's working for Virginia, but he's also trying to uh, free everybody as well too, because everybody does not want to work for Virginia. That they all are are plotting their escapes respectively. Yeah, like we didn't have too much of Morgan this episode, but they have been setting up that. Uh, he's on his way there too. Like the only thing you saw is he's actually sharpening the axe that he made mm. and practicing, which is scary as all hell. Mm-hmm. But I was down for it. But overall, like I said, Pat, the show has actually impressed me. Like this has been a, a Walking Dead that I've been waiting to see for. Yeah, a no, years. it sounds it sounds good. Yeah, like I have to recommend jumping in. Like I, there's a couple characters I don't know and I'm trying to catch back up on, mm-hmm. and I'm just you know diving in cold. But this is kind of where I am with the series right now because obviously. I speak, I think, for a lot of Walking Dead fans. Mm-hmm. The show has not been up to snuff over the past couple of years. Yeah. That I think it's gotten too safe. This one, I don't feel that safeness. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like actually going in there saying, maybe they're actually going to kill a character off. Right. I don't know. But I'm definitely down for the ride. And I think the series is definitely worth checking out. Yeah. And I did stick around a little bit, though. I want to give a quick thing about World Beyond. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm now, I believe, three episodes in. Okay. I'm not blown away by this. Okay. And I, I'm going to say the only reason that I've stuck around this long to it is I believe that this is the prequel for the Rick Grimes film. Because mm. they do. Kind of long in the tooth for, for that. It is. but I'm, And a weird way to do it. It's a weird way to do it, but I believe that this is how this is all setting up for it. Mm. And I just have this sense about it because the group of kids has been going and tracking down uh, the one's father who's missing and they've now left. And you have the civil Republic uh, military is now chasing after them as well. Mm-hmm. They're responsible. They're the ones that have the big three circles on the sides of the helicopters. The one that um, uh, Anna uh, threw Rick to and said he was a B yeah, and I believe at some point the the rumors are going around that they've explained what the A and B is and how they're working in a plant in upstate New York mm-hmm. about working on a zombie cure. And the A's are the people that they're experimenting on. The B's are the prisoners right now, but they can mm. flip to it. Like it, it's kind of like this weird convoluted, like yeah, plot line that I've been trying yeah. to track down online. I've seen so many different ones. I'm not comfortable saying I know what it is yet, mm-hmm. but I have an idea. Okay, but I will say this: it is about like I said, third or fourth episode in. I understand what they're trying to do, but I'm still not buying into it. Yeah. Like, I, I'm kind of watching, and I'm going, okay. The, like, this past episode was all about the high school, mm. and the one is reliving what the high school was going to be like. And, and when this, and she's, like, kind of having these, like, flashbacks of just what she is envisioning the school being because, obviously, where they grew up is not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And still a lot of the same old zombie stuff. You're seeing the one is getting manipulated by the one soldier who wants to get everybody back to camp. You're seeing um, Silas, who's kind of like the distant brooding character of there. He admits about like he killed his father Mm -hmm. in like some in in some kind of circumstance as well. And it's just really not hooking me as much as I thought it should. Like I think once they get away from the high school stuff, it's very interesting about it, but they dwelled on it way too much this episode. Mm. That I think it was just, I understand you're trying to explain their kids, and I get that, 
but it was really wasting a lot of time. It was, it was almost even like those early Walking Dead episodes when they were filler. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like when they're, when yeah. they're like on Hershey's yeah. farm and they're not doing yeah. anything. That's kind of what I felt yeah. with this episode. And like I shouldn't be as critical of it, but that's kind of the vibe I'm on about it. I'm not going to lie. I don't know, you know exactly where they're going to go moving forward with it. Because they kind of jumped all over the place. Like I said, it's visually impressive, though, when they get to their zombie scenes. Mm-hmm. And they did have the one uh, scene where they were trying to track down the, the Blaze of uh, Fury. or mm. this, It was something like that because they've been trying to track down the Blaze of Glory, or Gory, as they were referring it to, which is where the Civil Republic was kind of uh, making a no-man's-land area. Gotcha. But the kids got through it, which I don't understand how because... This entire time I've been watching them, they have not been able to kill one zombie. Mm, that's concerning. Yeah. Like, they did this thing where Iris and Silas were escaping, and they were basically shoving the zombies away until Silas had, like, a flashback from, like, him being beat up as a kid, and he starts punching the zombie in the face mm. on the ground. Like, it's kind of like in the mount position from MMA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm kind of like, I don't really know if I'm vibing off this. Because I would expect, like, if you're punching them barehanded, yeah. wouldn't you get infected? You would think, maybe. But I don't know. Reasons. Yeah. But overall, like I say, Worlds, I believe they're signed up for that prequel. Okay. That's the only reason I'm, I think I'm sticking around for it. Yeah. Just to watch it. Yeah. But right now, the king of the Walking Dead universe is fear. I did not think I would be saying that right. at any stage. But I'm telling you, you really need to check it out. They have definitely stepped their A game up. They have had three very good episodes, one strong out the gate, but they've still maintained the fear element that you like seeing in The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And I will say this one, I'm, I'm not going to give a letdown to because it did have a lot of happy endings going on with it. But yeah. I think that if they have a big payoff at the end, I'm good, definitely down for it. But I'm locked and loaded on this show. So. Definitely highly recommend you check it out. Yeah. And hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts of Fear of the Walking Dead? Have you watched it this season, or did you give up before? I'm giving you reasons to watch it again, and if you've seen it, let's talk about this episode because I definitely want to deep dive into it a little bit more. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream. But even daydreams can become nightmares. Come join me and get lost in horrific reverie about true crimes and eerie events. Reverie True Crime Podcast. Available wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. This is Rich, the host of the Three Fat Nerds Podcast and co-host of the Horror Zone 607 Podcast. And you are listening to our hashtag 607 Podcast Brothers, the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Now kick it back over to Ken Moneybags and the crew. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And let us kick off one shot. Mm Mm-hmm. Talking about a show that is coming back yes. this Friday as we're yes. recording. Yes. We didn't want to go full detailed about it because, you know what, we just want to give you a little more hype to it. Just a cherry on the Sunday. Because mm-hmm. Disney Plus is a place you want to be this Friday. Mm-hmm. The Mandalorian returns. Yes. Pad, 
break it down. Yeah, so of course, as we mentioned, coming out this Friday, that is uh, Friday, October 30th at 3 in the morning Eastern time, uh, for those of you keeping track. Time adjust where you are. Uh-huh. Uh, or just do like me. I'm not staying up till 3 in the morning as much as I love Star Wars and I love the show. I got to work the next morning. I'll just watch it before I go to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it comes out this Friday, 3 a.m. Eastern. Do the time conversions for your own time zone. I'm not going to sit here and do it for you. Uh, is, of course, season two of The Mandalorian. Uh, now, of course, everyone remembers season one. If, you ha- if you're if just watching the show, you can go back to our, some of our past episodes. We did recap every episode right after it came out. So you can go back and listen to our full recaps and all that. But it is the story of one uh, character, Pedro Pascal, who plays The Mandalorian. And it kind of starts off simply enough. It's just a guy being a bounty hunter trying to make his way in the world. Until he gets a certain job that... You know, it's got a, it's a high clientele, high paying job. It's a little risky, but it's worth your while. Mm-hmm. So he takes the job. And of course, uh, he goes to meet, uh, I guess, the client, as he's uh, referred to, who is one famous actor, Werner Herzog. You know, no fan of Star Wars, never seen a Star Wars film, but he took the job up and played the part magnificently, might I add. Uh, he goes and he tracks his you know client down or he goes to do the job and he comes and finds out that that it's one it's this this child this this child that, that looks a lot like yoda it's mm-hmm. not not yoda but it looks like him right so he goes to bring him back and then all of a sudden he gets a chain and instead of just turning him in and letting the because uh, warner herzog's character works with uh the empire or what's left of the empire and and they start doing what appears to be some tests on him and and uh, Pedro Pascal get you know his character gets gets a little bit of cold feet and he goes you know what I don't like this so he kind of wrecks havoc on the planet he's on saves the child and takes off you know so he goes from there and he goes you know jumping around the galaxy until finally everything kind of comes full circle brings him back to that original planet where he's got to help uh, uh, whereas the name Carl Weathers who plays grief Karga you know he's got to help him out he's in a bit of trouble because all all the the hornet proverbial hornet's nest that Pedro Pascal kicked up on the planet has brought in the full might of you know that that region's empire mm-hmm. you know or what's left so you know he goes back with some of his friends and, and kind of tries to take things back but that's where we get the big reveal of kind of the big villain of Moff Gideon played by one Giancarlo Esposito. We think it appears that he's dead, but uh, surprise, surprise, unless you see the body, they are not Never dead. dead. Uh, he pops out of the uh, TIE fighter he's in and is holding the dark saber, you know, a black lightsaber from ancient Mandalorian history. Uh, you know, and that's where we leave season one. And of course, season two drops this Friday, this Friday. I'm hoping they build off of that and go some different places. I'm hoping they also tie in some of what's going on in the, in the universe at this point, because all we've really gotten is, Hey, you know, the new Republic, Hey, the empire is not a thing anymore. Like tie in some stuff, maybe get some hints and mentions that Leia, you know, or what's going on or even Luke, you know, cause Luke's supposed to be the, as we find out in the sequels is this legend that, you know, everybody knows about, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be nice to get some tie-ins. We don't need to do full episodes and, and tie everybody into this, you know, but just, just some mentions, you know, I, I like that in a show. Give me Boba Fett. Damn it. Well, that's all I want to see. Yeah. I'm, I'm sold on the show. Like I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think that'd be cool to kind of take it around the universe a little yeah. bit and obviously see some familiar faces, see yeah. some new ones that can definitely make some noise. Mm-hmm. But obviously we're talking Mandalorian. It was already told that Boba Fett was going to be appearing in some facet. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping they they reckon the egregious way he was punked out so by George he, Lucas. He is supposed to be in the show. We don't know if it's present time or it's going to be a flashback. We'll see. I'm hoping it's present time. Sasha Banks uh, from WWE is in the show. We have yet to figure out who she's playing. Uh, 
fan guesses are that she's Sabine Wren from Rebels, mm-hmm. which I'm hoping to. That'd be great. Yeah, I'm excited. That'd be great. I'm, I'm super excited. I mean, there's just so much to be excited about with the show. Yeah. So they've set the benchmark so high yeah. that this is what's gravitating towards movie stars coming to Disney+. Plus. Uh-huh. I mean, you want to talk about uh, Obi-Wan. Oh, uh, Ewan McGregor. Thank you. And obviously Oscar Isaac, as we were talking about yeah. at the beginning of the show, yeah. Midnight, yeah. that this is just one of those shows that can really make or break your network. Mm-hmm. If you have a franchise like Star Wars, you have to deliver on all fronts. The Mandalorian has done that. Yep. So now the anticipation is even higher. Yeah. I don't see a letdown happening. No. I think it's going to be more of the same vein. It, yeah. I just want it to match that level, if not surpass it. Yeah. And I'll be happy with it. And I, and I highly recommend, if you haven't watched the series, obviously watch the series. But then watch the behind-the-scenes little series thing they did for the show with, like, all the directors and stuff. A great series. Also, another cool thing about the show is that visual effects wall that they kind of, like, I guess, pioneered or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Is going to be used in the upcoming Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan Kenobi series. I'm down for that. Which, it's a great-looking thing, so I'm all for it. Man, let, let it happen. Cannot uh-huh. wait. And obviously, we will be recapping every single episode of The yes. Mandalorian here on the ODPH. Yes. Uh, switching over to some different stuff, uh, we got uh, some unfortunate news to pass along. Uh, if you're a video game fan like myself, uh, the folks over at CD Projekt Red uh, posted an update for their upcoming game, Cyberpunk 2077, uh, yesterday, and uh, they're unfortunately, they're delaying it again. Uh, the letter that they posted on their Twitter account, which is at Cyberpunk Game, uh, said, quote, Hey, everyone. Today we've made we've decided to move the release date of Cyberpunk 2077 by 21 days. The new release date is December 10th. Most likely there are many emotions and questions in your heads. So, first and foremost, please accept our humble apologies. The biggest challenge for us right now is shipping the game on current gen, next gen, and PC at the same time, which requires us to prepare and to test 9 versions of it. Xbox 1/X compatibility on Xbox Series S slash X, PS4 slash Pro, compatibility on PS5, PC, Stadia, while working from home. Since Cyberpunk 2077 evolved towards almost being a next-gen title somewhere along the way, we need to make sure everything works well and every version runs smoothly. We're aware it might seem unrealistic when someone says that 21 days can make any difference in such a massive and complex game, but they really do. Some of you might be wondering what this means in light of us saying we achieved gold master some time ago. Passing certification or going gold means that the game is ready, can be completed, and has all content in it. But it doesn't mean we stop working on it and raising the quality bar. On the contrary, this is the time uh, where many improvements are being made, which will be the, then be distributed via a day zero patch. This is the time period we undercalculated. We feel we have an amazing game on our hands and are willing to make every decision, even the hardest ones. If it ultimately leads to you getting a better, getting a video game, you'll fall in love with yours, Adam Badowski and Marcin Iwinski. Uh, so uh, yeah, unfortunate news, but like, like they said in the letter, they're having to test nine versions of the game, which for those of you who don't know, that's not just picking up the game, playing it for 30 minutes yeah. and making sure it works perfectly. No, like they got to try stuff you've never even thought of. And even then they, there's stuff they miss because there's some stuff they might not even thought of. They got to play it front to back. So they got to play it front to back on every version that I mentioned in their, in their open letter. So they've got to play this. They got to have people play this thing from home, fix it from home 
on nine different versions. That, yeah, you got to cut him some slack about yeah. this. I mean, for anybody that's complaining about the delay, shut up. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I know there are people, you know, take, you, obviously, there are people who are very understanding. You know, hey, we get it. As somebody who has played The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, CD Projekt Rig games are amazing. I got 115 hours out of The Witcher 3, and I didn't even do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they make deep, vast, deep, you know, engrossing games. So give them their time. They make great stuff. There are people, of course, who aren't taking that route of being understanding. They're attacking developers and people. Uh, one gentleman, Andres Zwadzki, who is a senior game designer over at CD Projekt Red, uh, tweeted this morning, this is one of the mildest messages some of us got. There were far, far worse. Every single one is being reported. We will not let it go through. Do not treat it lightly. Do not ignore it. It is serious. That said, I'm off Twitter for a couple of days. Take care. Uh, so somebody messaged him, quote, I know where you live, bro. Release the game or you're finished. Release Cyberpunk or you and your family will be persecuted. No. I will burn you alive if you don't release the game. If you are one of these people, and it's not just limited to Cyberpunk. If you if a game video game gets delayed, because if there's anybody who can gripe about a video game getting delayed, I waited on Kingdom Hearts 3 for 13 years. Yeah. If anyone can gripe about a video game getting delayed, it's me, and I never once griped about it getting delayed. I was bummed, yeah. I wanted to see it, yeah. But I got, I had to deal with it getting delayed and, and put off for 13 fucking years. If you are one of these people that like to message developers at home and threaten them, their colleagues, or their families' lives, saying, you know where they live, I'll come for you, I'll hunt you down... Stop listening to this show and fucking unfollow us. Yeah, definitely. There, There's no reason or room for it. There's no reason. Like I say, for a game that is going to be as great as this game is uh, going to be, and like I said, the amount of time they're taking to work on this, stop complaining. Yeah. It's like, stop. And, and I'm sorry, if, if you cross the line to go threaten, fuck off. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Find something else to do with your time than listen to the show. If you're going to be somebody that is going to be threatening creators mm-hmm. because something's not done and you have to wait two more weeks. Like, yeah. stop. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, stop. There's, there's other problems to be worried more so about the world than that. Mm-hmm. On to happier things. Yes. Uh, it was announced by Netflix yesterday that they're going to be working along with the folks over at Ubisoft uh, on an Assassin's Creed live action show. Interesting. I am all sorts of excited for this. Uh, and, as one, and as they like to say in uh, three of the Assassin's Creed games, Requiescat in Pace. Which is rest in peace in Italian. Oh, break it down. Uh, yeah, so they announced on Twitter yesterday. Uh, with, not much. It's just a collaborate a collaboration. It's a little logo. It's got the Assassin's Creed A with the little undershape thing, whatever the hell that thing's called, and then the Netflix logo. Uh, you know, so it says and just Netflix plus Assassin's Creed. So they're working on something Assassin's Creed related, which let's be honest, it's going to be better than the Michael Fassbender movie because holy shit, that movie sucks. Yeah. The only, the only good thing with that movie is the leap of faith they do in that is legit. He does that from like 150 feet up or whatever the hell it is. Green screen, obviously, but still he's that far. Like if you've ever seen the movie, he does that big leap of faith. That's him. That's not stunt double. That's not, you know, CGI. He Oh, he falls a little bit and they just extend. No, that's legit. Mm. So that's one of the good things about the movie, but It'll be better than the movie. Yeah, you know, they've, they've got a track record of adapting, taking things that might not have been good, you know, the first time around. Hello, a series of unfortunate events. Mm-hmm. Or even taking video game slash book franchises, hello, The Witcher, and adapting them and make, making great adaptations. Uh, we should note, though, however, this isn't 
apparently going to be the only project they're doing with uh, Ubisoft. Uh, reading from an article on IGN, it says, quote, uh, the collaboration will tap into the iconic video games trove of dynamic stories to create live action animated and anime series. So there, this might include, you know, Assassin's Creed anime series. It's been rumored and, and for a long time, it might be done by the Castlevania anime producer. That'd be uh, dope. Yeah, and of course, I believe they're also doing a Cyberpunk 2077 something or other. Uh, but no, they're also working on some other stuff. Uh, a couple of months, no, about a year or so ago, they announced that there's going to be a movie based off of the Ubisoft video game The Division, which is starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Jessica Chastain, a, a video game that I said for a while would be great for a video game. Hindsight, the story's a little too close to home. Holy shit. Mm. Uh, pandemic hits New York City and it goes south real fast. Yeah. Yeah, given current time. At the time, bonkers story. Holy shit, who could ever see this? Yeah, about that. Uh, you know, but then there's also a Beyond Good and Evil series uh, helmed by the Detective Pikachu director, Rob Letterman, and then a Splinter Cell animated series uh, helmed by the John Wick writer, Derek Kolstad, all in the works at Netflix, uh, along with Ubisoft. Netflix is making top shelf stuff. I mean, I'll say, you, yeah. you got to look at that track record. Yeah, no, and they, they appear to be the place to go for your video game adaptations. And so far, I'm all for it. Yeah, bring it on. Speaking of uh, things coming to HBO Max and, and streaming service, this one came totally out of left field. I missed this one until I saw the article. Uh, for those of you like myself who might remember the series from the 90s, uh, Tiny Toons is coming back and they're rebooting, Re- rebooting it for HBO Max and the Cartoon Network. Okay. Yeah, so. Uh, Quote, it says on from the article on IGN, it says, quote, if the repent, impending return of Animaniacs on Hulu isn't enough to quench your 90s cartoon nostalgia, and let's face it, it's not, yeah. uh, maybe the Tiny Toons can help. The beloved animated series is also due for a comeback in the form of Tiny Toons Luniversity. Uh, Warner Brothers press release teases, they're tiny, they're toony, they're back for a rebooty. Uh, so Looney Looniversity appears to be a reboot of the original Tiny Toons adventure rather than a continuation. Not that the series was ever very plot-heavy, and it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tiny Toons Adventures originally ran from 1990 to 1992 and chronicled the misadventures of a new generation of Toon students ru- studying under the classic Looney Tunes cast. So Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, uh, Sylvester the Cat, Taz, Porky Pig. Uh, it later, later became a mainstay of the Kids WB animation block alongside Animaniacs, Batman Beyond, and other 90s favorites. I'm all for this. This was a really great show. This was very underrated. It also got uh, can't go back to Constantinople by they might be giants stuck in my head for <laughs> stuck in my head for the rest of time. I hear the I hear the name or I hear the tune and it's instantly stuck in my head. Holy shit! Yeah, they did that in the other song where they might be giants too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they 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 haunt you. Yep. So a great series. I cannot wait for it to come back. Uh, Said. So, uh, article on IGN goes on to say Tiny Toons Luniversity has been given a straight to series order for two full seasons Wow! and will air on Cartoon Network and stream exclusively on HBO Max. No release date has been revealed yet and it's unclear whether any of the original voice cast will return. I hope so. I gotta imagine they do. I, I mean right so. now uh, animation from the 90s is really coming back in full stride. Mm-hmm. I mean you take a look at Animaniacs is only a couple of weeks away from coming yep. back on Hulu. Yep. Tiny Toons coming back. I mean that's mm-hmm. some big stuff. I mean is there any, any show that you're waiting to see come back in that style, because I know you always say Batman Beyond. But oh, well, yeah, obviously yeah. Batman Beyond. Um, I'd say any of the Spielberg cartoon stuff from that era. Okay. There's a lot. Like, Freakazoid was another one, though. Or Earthworm Gem. Okay. Or Freakazoid or Earthworm Gem are both really good ones. That I that Earthworm Gem especially has got that, like, cult following that I think could uh, really come back. Yeah. Uh, speaking of reboots, uh, it was announced last week that the Addams Family is, is making a TV series reboot comeback uh, with Tim Burton producing. 
Uh, oh, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so the article on IGN reads, uh, The Adams Family is reportedly coming back to TV in a new live-action series produced and possibly directed by Tim Burton. Deadline reports that Burton is currently in talks to executive produce the new show and is considering directing all of the episodes. The creators of Smallville, ooh, hello, you have my interest now, uh, Alfred Goff and Miles Millar would be the showrunners and writers of the series. Uh, the show takes place in present day from point of view of Wednesday Adams, according to Deadline sources. Netflix is reportedly the likely buyer of the series, although multiple companies are reportedly in consideration. Uh, this would be Burton's first television project since he was an executive producer on Family Dog in 1993. Holy shit, I forgot about that show. Wow. Uh, although Burton also directed a web series titled The World of Stainboy that was released in 2000. Uh, Burton's last project was a live action remake of Dumbo, which received negative reviews from critics and was considered a box office disappointment. Uh, so yeah, Adam Sandler got a long history, a couple of good movies, you know, but it'd be real interesting to see that come back. I know that's something that you, you might be able to make work. Yeah. I mean, obviously everything old is new again, so yeah. to speak. And yeah. uh, Tim Burton tagged to that. Mm-hmm. Man, that's, uh, you have my interest now. Yeah. Uh, switching over to some very surprising movie news on what could have been. Uh, there's been a kind of, I don't want to say resurgence, but kind of like a, a, a 10 for movies that might, might not be able to come out in theaters just because of the pandemic going on and whatnot to just go uh, straight to streamers. Yeah. I know uh, Borat 2 is one that immediately comes to mind. And there's some other ones that are, you know, hitting Hulu or Netflix, you know, in, in lieu of being able to go in theaters. Uh, but the big one that shocked uh, pretty much damn near everyone was MGM started shopping around the rights to stream James Bond No Time to Die. Whoa. Uh, and they were that's interesting. They were seeking a very hefty fee uh, to do so. Any guesses? Um, hundred million. Oh, you're way, you're way south. They were looking for six hundred million dollars. Six hundred mil. Uh huh. So this according, damn. Yeah. So according according to Variety, Apple and Netflix and other streaming services were looking at acquiring the rights to No Time to Die. But according to multiple insiders at rival studios and companies, the six million dollar price tag was quote deemed too rich for two of the free spending streaming services. Uh, close quote. No Time to Die is said to have cost more than $250 million to produce and has already lined up several promotional partnerships to, quote, defray these costs, including Land Rover, Omega Watches, and Heineken, close quote. Uh, these promotional deals would be a huge factor in any deal, as, as some may not love the idea of the movie not arriving in theaters. Uh, so yeah, apparently MGM was getting a little cold feet or maybe a little bit of pressure from investors and say, Hey, we got this real big budget movie. That's a real big temple for us. You got to put it out. And they shopped it. And to everyone who says, Oh, Netflix has all the money in the world. They can just write blank checks. Uh, apparently not shoot your shot. Yeah. Holy shit. 600 mil. Yeah. Out of here. Damn. No, I, I could. All right. If you really got to make up your budget and such and, and doing all that math, Mm-hmm. I could, in theory, understand three hundred million. I could, I could technically understand that because they, they do have all those sponsorship deals. Because once that movie would drop, you'd see the Heineken commercials. You see all the, you know the other what other, what other brands were tagged with that too. Uh, I know Apple TV and yeah. Netflix were the ones that were, that were no, mentioned. no, no, like the ones for the movie itself. Oh, oh, Heineken, Omega Watches, and then Jeep. Yeah, so you'd see like so much media with that. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, because because every James Bond they have that. Yeah. So it's not like yeah. anything new. It, it's like you do get the. He's a sponsored franchise. Yeah, it's weird saying. So he's that's been, why, for those who don't know, who say, "Oh no, he's not." 
Aston Martin, D, Aston Martin cars have been the cars for, with the exception of some of the '90s Brosnan ones, for almost every film since the '60s. Yeah, and everybody's capitalized on that. So, yeah. So you, that's why I say Aston threw, Martin loves the Bond Bond films because that means they got to make a car and they can sell it. It threw me off for a second because when you were naming them off, I'm like, these are new franchises. At least I think some of them that have been tagged to the James Bond. Uh, I, I know Omega Watches hasn't. Omega's been with them for a while. Heineken is relatively. Heineken, young. I want to say. Is Heineken, young. I want to say only within the last one or maybe the one prior. Maybe. Uh, because I know, I know they had that ad for the last one where it was like him in a bar or on a train or something, and then he, and then somebody, you know, he got in a fight, and then the fight got over, and he leaned back against the bar, and somebody slid him a Heineken. Yeah, yeah, it was. But uh, Omega's, was, Omega's been with him for a while. Uh, Jeep only since the Craig era. Okay, Jeep has been a, like a Craig era. Yeah, because like I say, that kind of throws me off a little bit because yeah. I know because they do funnel like at least one new one per movie. Yeah, so. Omega Omega has been with them for a little bit. I forget. Yet there was another watchmaker who was like the the main watch person. But still, man, that's yeah. that's absolutely wild. Shoot yeah. your shot. Yeah, I am not mad at you yeah. about that. Uh, switching over to some comics news, uh, we got some interesting stuff coming out from Marvel in regards to X Men and Chris Claremont. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, Marvel Comics is celebrating the legendary career of uh, X Men writer Chris Claremont with a beautiful, I must say, a hardcover collection called. Marvel made Paragon Collection Chris Claremont Premier Bundle. So this thing is absolutely gorgeous. It's got like a leather bound cover with some gold font on the front and on the gold on the side. It looks looks a little old fashioned. I'm showing the picture to Ken here. It looks like something you might see on your grandparents. You know, from the side. Yeah, yeah. The, something the, you look the on. The spine your, on that book looks yeah, real old. Yeah. School. So uh, so this is uh, being made exclusive to the Marvel new Marvel made online platform. There's a little catch to it though. Uh, Marvel will only put the book into production if at least 1,200 pre-orders are received. Once that initial goal is met, new stretch goals will be revealed uh, for the final release. Something tells me, though, they won't have an issue with this. Yeah, I don't think so either. So here's what you get with the book. The book itself is 448 pages. Okay. Uh, Each book is hand-signed by Chris Claremont himself, along with one of four X-Men quotes. Don't know what the quotes are, but they will have uh, at least one quote in there. So here's what you get with the book. A foreword by editor slash X Factor writer Luis Simonson. Okay. Uh, Uncanny X Men from 1963, issue number 94. Uncanny X Men from 1963, issues number 129 to 137. That's, Dark Phoenix? Yep. Okay. Uncanny X Men from 1963, issues 141 and 142. Days of Future Past? Yep. Uh, Wolverine from 1982, issues number 1 through 4. The Frank Miller series. Uh, Uncanny X-Men from 1963, issue number 268. Jim Lee's first art. Uh, X-Men 1991, uh, issue number one. Okay. Then you get a Days of Future Past prequel story. What? Yeah. You get a Days of Past Future prequel story. Uh, Original Days of Future Past notes and script by Chris Claremont. Behind the scenes interviews. And then a seven by ten and a half lithographs by Phil Noto, Salvador LaRocca, and other artists. Plus a Wolverine 2020, uh, number six, sketch cover variant by Oliver Koipel, exclusive to Marvel Unlimited annual members. Uh, Chris Claremont went on to say, quote, this collection with Marvel made is a beautiful new compendium of some of my best, plus a beautifully illustrated new story by Salvador LaRocca. Here's what fans get to see. uh, Here's what fans get to see. Nightcrawler and Bloody Best save the world. Want to find out how? Get this collection. I can't wait to have this on my own shelf. Close quote. So all this, what do you think the price is going to be on this? Okay. So we're talking Uncanny 94. Mm -hmm. That was his first work. Yep. We're talking Dark Phoenix Saga. Yep. 
We're talking Days of Future Past. Yep. We're talking Wolverine the, one through four. Yep, that's the Frank Miller limited series, the one he did that got his ball rolling for a, a, mm-hmm. a regular series. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking issue two nine two sixty eight from uh, nineteen sixty three. Yep. So. Yep. And then your uh, issue one from ninety one, uh, plus the Days of Future Past prequel story, plus the notes and script from the original Days of Future Past, interviews, plus a seven by ten and a half lithograph from Phil Noto, Salvador Larroca, and others, plus uh, the Wolverine number six from the, uh, this year, cover variant by Oliver Koipel, which again exclusive to Marvel Unlimited annual members, what you, and it's four hundred and forty eight pages. Okay, for all of that reprints, um, but sign plus the new story, mm-hmm. three fifty. No, hundred ninety nine dollars. Holy sh! Yeah, that's two hundred bucks for all that. Uh, yeah, so this does not. That's inc- not a bad deal. No, it's one hundred ninety nine dollars, not including tax and shipping, uh, and it's expected to be re- released in March of twenty twenty one, assuming it meets the goal. But like I said. I don't think they're going to have an issue. No, that that is a great. De- okay, if you were an X Men fan, and you really want to get something that's a true collector's item, this thing. Pat is just showing me the picture here. Mm-hmm. This thing it looks impressive. Oh yeah, I mean it, it looks like one of those big um, Star Wars uh, archive books. Mm-hmm. Like it's huge, and just to get all that X Men history, like I yeah. say. You don't find anybody more synonymous with the X-Men in the comics than Chris Claremont. No. I mean, he is the the godfather of, of the X-Universe. Mm-hmm. And obviously his run with John Byrne is, is we throw the word iconic around easy. It is. I mean, yep. it is literally the blueprint for what you look for in X-Men storytelling. Like, that's why we always keep hyping about how Dark Phoenix is the greatest X-Men story of all time and mm-hmm. like what what does it have to do with and and you know going from there and like I say to see everything else that's thrown in this mix I mean Days of Future Past is I mean personally it's it's I think my favorite X-Men storyline of all time mm-hmm. I know it's only two issues but it doesn't matter yeah. the saga you have that you have the Frank Miller illustrated Wolverine mm-hmm. limited series which I mean like I say for that time period was like yeah Read about it. Yeah. Then factor in uh, 268. That's Jim Lee's first artwork, I believe, with the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And then you have, obviously, 1991's X-Men number one, which is the highest selling comic of all time. Yep. And then you get a brand new Days of Future Past prequel. I mean, the prequel, like, I don't know how I feel about that, but obviously I'm trusting Claremont with it. Yeah. That is a steal. Like, yeah. This, this is something, if you're an X-Men fan, you, you go buy. Yeah, and I'm looking at the marvelmade.net website here, which has got which you go to marvelmade.net, it, this is the first thing you see. Uh, they got a bunch of uh, images you can look at, and, and if you hover over your mouse over the image, you can zoom in on some stuff. No, at least one of the quotes. Uh, it looks like the first uh, book signed is uh, got his signature on it, and the quote is, Welcome to the X-Men. Hope you survive the experience. Oh, classic. And, and again, looking at the site, uh, it says, we will stop taking pre-orders at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on 11.20.2020. So, you know, just under a month. If this minimum threshold of 1,200 pre-orders is not met by the deadline, the product will not move into production and all pre-orders will be refunded. If successful, this product will ship in March 2021. So this damn thing ain't even been up for 12 hours at this point. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to have any issues. Uh, as we sit here recording, they're currently sitting at 250 pre-orders. 
Yeah, they think it'll get crushed. And and they got 950 more pre-orders needed to reach the target. Yeah, they'll, they'll, this will get pre-ordered. Yeah, I mean, this is in 12 hours as we're recording, so psh, read and about they, it. And they got less than a month. I, I, I have to see if I can swing this. I'm, I'm definitely intrigued. Okay. I'm definitely intrigued. Okay. Uh, and then lastly, we got some interesting Star Wars news. And nothing casting, but maybe what could be or what could have been. Uh, Liam Neeson recently did an interview with uh, Collider. Of course, Liam Neeson played uh, Qui-Gon Jinn in Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And it, and it was, you know, the only film he's ever been in. However, he's con- has come back to lend the voice to the character. Uh, most notably in uh, Rise of Skywalker, his mm-hmm. voice uh, showed up. But then he was also in uh, an episode or two episodes of uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars. Uh, and was asked uh if he'd be willing to if he's ever been asked to come back and play the character uh he said quote i've done the voice of qui-gon jinn in a couple of the animated versions of it uh i can't remember the names of them myself and sam jackson did our jedi knights for those i think i did two of them but on film i haven't been approached no uh so then he go he went on to say quote i haven't really been following them to be honest uh i don't know if they've come to an end i heard they did a film of harrison ford's character han solo and that there was a there was a bit of trouble with that what do you think are star wars fans finished with it close quote i think it'd be good to see liam neeson come back as a character i i understand the character in the storyline and it makes sense why they killed the character off but i don't think liam got his fair shake at the franchise no he definitely didn't i i would love to have him come back maybe not in a movie but maybe in a disney plus series you know come back and maybe tell the story of qui-gon jinn have a have a young Obi-Wan Kenobi and do when they were growing up and, and all that. I know they did a story uh, of that leading right up to the beginning of episode one, the Phantom Menace in a book, but do do something from that time period. Give Liam another shake at the character. Yeah, I'm all for it. I would love to see it. There's definitely some room to do it on yeah. Disney Plus. So, yeah. I mean, why not? If he's, yeah. if he's down to do it, let it happen. Absolutely. So for my one shots, did get a little bit of DC Titans news. Okay. So obviously everybody knows that the DC universe is evolving. It's going to become DC Universe Infinite going strictly comics at the beginning of the year. So all of their shows are moving to HBO Max mm. as of November 1st. Okay. So, Pad, I am showing you, in case you did not see, this is the promo Ooh. art of one Jason Todd, Ooh. a.k.a. Red Hood, okay. for Season 3 of Titans. I dig it. Yes. Uh, Kern Walters is still going to be playing the character cool. of Jason Todd. Uh, looks badass. Yeah, this, I'd say so. This is one of the best uh, comics uh, costumes to television we yeah. have seen. Obviously, this season is going to be heavily Gotham-focused because they are adding Barbara Gordon and Scarecrow to the show. So uh, production just started, so we don't have any trailers. Don't have any timetable was coming, but they did reveal what the costume looks like. Obviously, perfect timing with what's going on with the Death in the Family movie coming out for animation. So mm-hmm. super excited about this. Really amped up with what I saw with the, the still arts here. So yeah. keep your eyes up for that. And if you want to start binge-watching Titans, uh, just remember, November 1st, it kicks all off on HBO Max. Now, flipping to the comics, picks of the week, and I have to, I'm going to try keeping this non-spoiler as I can. Okay. So DC Comics has a couple that are really worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Batgirl 50 is Ooh. coming out. Now, Very you're probably going, why? They're introducing Ryan Wilder hmm. before she debuts in the Arrowverse. Oh. So now she is getting introduced into the DC Comics cool. uh, Earth 1. Awesome. So yeah, so she'll be in there. So if you're looking for uh, a little more background on the character before she debuts, Definitely do that. Red Hood 50 is ending. Uh, I believe they're going to be restarting the franchise, so that's going to be something worth picking up. And then we get Batman Three Jokers number three. 
The thoughts, views, and opinions upcoming are that of one CanM and do not necessarily reflect that of the ODPH at large, uh, including myself, Coach Duffy, or anybody affiliated with the show. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, so like I said, I'm going to try keeping this spoiler free as much as I can. He's pissed. I did not like this ending at all. In fact, I think this was kind of uh, this. In my opinion, this felt like clickbait. Mm. In my opinion. What is is, if you're not familiar with the story, is there was a throwaway line in, I want to say, Justice League 50, where Batman is sitting on Metron from the New Gods, Mobius chair, Mm -hmm. and he's granted infinite knowledge, and he goes, what is the Joker's real identity? And he immediately shouts, wait, there's three? And like I say, it was pushed away to the side. Nobody really kind of paid attention to it. Then we started hearing about this book and done by Jeff Johns and Jason Fabric um, about the story of the three Jokers. Mm. So Fabic's artwork in this has been great. I, I'm not taking anything away from this. But how this is all kind of played out, it essentially established that the killing joke is part of Continuum. Mm-hmm. That That is the ultimate Joker introduction. And with this, we get this roller coaster ride of these alleged three Jokers and what they're doing to the Bat family. We have one that is tied in from the 1940s, which they refer to as the criminal. Mm-hmm. There's another that is referred to as the comedian, which is from the killing joke itself. And then there's the one that is known as the clown, which is considered the one from uh, Batman uh, Death in the Family. Yes. So you have to kind of mix all this together. And what the ultimate plan is, is to basically try to figure out how to make themselves more relevant. I I don't know because this goes off the tracks in issue three very quick, in my opinion, that you have the big reveal in, C, in issue two of who the one character that is the catalyst for all of this is brought back to the limelight. Now, obviously, this character has been a part of the Batman mythos since day one. Mm-hmm. But once you get to issue three... You have the Jokers doing what Jokers do best, and each one has an ulterior motive. Now, at this point in the story, a few players have been taken off the board, so we're left with just two. But once you get down to the nitty-gritty after we get to one Joker against one Batman, the story, like the ending, I just I, I don't get because... It's been retconned so many times in the comics that I don't know if this fits into Continuum or not. Mm-hmm. And from the vibe I get from this book, they basically say the killing joke is the origin, mm. which I'm fine with. I, I don't have an issue with that. But why were we even dancing around this subject for three issues if that was the ultimate endgame? Right. That's where I'm kind of going, okay, so did my payoff for this book really mean something like for all that I've been reading for because when you really tie into what this book was supposed to be about and as the origin of the Joker I don't feel you got that I feel that this had kind of like more of a clickbait feel to me at least in my opinion I think it's a good story but when you start tying into the killing joke which is the ultimate Joker story written by Alan Moore right it's one of the most legendary comics of all time and I always preach this on the show. If you're going to try dabbling into that, you try dabbling into Watchmen. You try dabbling into one of those areas where it has set the bar so high it can't be touched. You need to nail it out of the park. 
This one was like a bloop in the center field, mm. in my opinion, that I just did not like how this ended because you retconned, at least in my opinion, but then again, this is a problem with DC, the timeline where one character's fate has been redone and you're basically tying it into another element from Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's run, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So where this all leads to is you now have a clear-cut idea where the Joker is mentally, per se, as in you now know which Joker is left standing. Right. And I don't necessarily know about the other two. In fact, I have my theory about it, which I think that when you start dealing with Joker toxics, Mm. it's almost like a dealing of cloning. Yeah. And I think for the other two that we saw, how does everybody know who everybody is in the histories. Like it just, they didn't explain that very well to my opinion. And at least for me, I didn't really feel the big payoff that I was expecting with this, that I was very excited about this book. And I had been for a very long time since I heard about it, but it just didn't really have that appeal to me. And I just kind of went, really? That's it. And then you get the reveal from Batman about what he found out, so Mm. to speak. And then I guess I go, in my opinion, that contradicts what you originally had set out way back when. Mm. And I just it just didn't mesh well with me. I'm sorry. Like I like I say, the story is good if you don't tie it in with Killing Joke. But since you did, and you start dancing around that area, I feel you missed the mark. And I I just really am kind of struggling where this falls in the continuum. Now, granted, if this is an Elseworlds story. That's fine, but you introduced this entire plot line in your regular DC universe. So right. how does this all add up? I know I'm being very vague about it because I want to give people another week to read. I have no problem deep diving in on this on social media in one week's time. I will give fair warning because then I will talk spoilers all day. But for how they ended this story, it raised a lot more questions that I don't think needed to be raised. Right. And I don't think it streamlined anything that we didn't really know already. And I think that... I just questioned, like, why did we even waste our time dancing around this? Like, it, it's just one of those areas that I guess I'm just so frustrated about because I had so much high expectations for it that now moving forward, where do we go from here with that book? And where do we go with the Joker? Well, I know where we're going with the Joker because this is going to go all get washed away and we're going back to normal business. But for where this book was supposed to hit my mark, it didn't. And I'm kind of, like, really raising a question that – they did leave one plot hole open, Pad, mm-hmm. that I really, 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 really hope they just leave dead and never go back to. Mm. And I don't want to get into that on the air. But I will say this. Read Three Jokers. Let me know what you think. Hit me up on hashtag ODPH. Let me know what you think about the story because I definitely want to interact about this. I'm just very disappointed by this mm. book. So... That being said, that was my DC picks. Mm-hmm. I got to give a quick shout out to IDW Publishing yeah. because they just came out with The Last Ronin, hmm. which is the future story of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles done by original creators, Ooh. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Interesting. So I'm not going to spoil anything about this one, but let me say this. If you're an old school TMNT fan mm-hmm. and you like how the comics were, not the TV, sh- the cartoons and, and movies where it's a little more um, cartoony mm. than to the liking. Like, this is in the same vein as the original book, and yeah. this is kind of a badass read. I recommend this. 
I definitely want to talk about this a little bit because mm. I do know who said last Ronin is now. Uh, I'm not spoiling that in any way, shape, or form, and I really am kind of excited about where this book is going to lead. That's kind of where I'm standing with that. And to close out with Marvel, they're having another strong week with X of Swords. Yeah. I will say this, Pad, did you hear about the origin of Apocalypse? No. They actually covered it. Ooh, interesting. And they gave him a backstory where you actually felt sympathetic for him. That's, wow. It's a it's a fantastic, mind-blowing moment. But you definitely want to go check that out if you're a fan of Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's When I read it, I was like, wait, what? That you actually gave him a story that he wasn't just completely wanting to take over the world, survival of the fittest? Yeah. No. They actually gave a little bit of life to him hmm. uh, that I was not expecting to see. And then I believe the issue was X-Men 13. There's so many parts of X-Men, um, X-Men yeah. Swords. Just bear with me if I'm wrong about it. I know they have a new book coming out, too, and that it's the X-Men st- status. So it's kind of a little spinoff mm-hmm. uh, storybook with it. But it's definitely worth the read, too. And, of course, Amazing Spider-Man 51. So yes. you get the fallout oh. from Kindred. The cover alone has got me real excited. i got to read that when I get home. Uh, the cover's got Spider-Man on there fighting uh, Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Craven, and then uh, the I'm blanking on the name. Uh, Lizard. 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 Yep. Uh, and the, uh, the, the little plot summary or teaser reads, Last Remains continues. Spider-Man seeks help from Doctor Strange. It's not going to be enough. Spider-Man does what, may, would, what many would... Find unthinkable to take the fight to Kindred. I God, I cannot wait. Can't wait to check that out. So definitely head on over to your local comic shops and go pick up some books and then interact with us and some of our fellow independent podcasts that cover comics because, you know, we know a bunch of them that are great, like Cheers to Comics, Wednesday Pull List, East Coast Avengers will deep dive into you. Obviously, SWO Productions is going to be kind of doing some transition because this week is the last uh, podcast of the Gross of the Stratosphere. Mm. Very sad. Bittersweet to hear that. It was a good episode. I definitely want to recommend that on the way out. So give us some good downloads. And then whatever they got going on in their next transition, you definitely want to go check out. So much good stuff at the comic shop. Definitely head on over and check it out. So that all being said, the music you heard on this episode of the ODPH is that of Shout at the Robots. They just rolled out their new Patreon. They have got some amazing stuff. You want to go check them out. Obviously, Tom Jolu, who just came through the studio. The episode is still blowing up. Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. Floodlands. The list goes on and on. You can find all of them on the music section at OchoDuroParleyHour.com. You can also head on over to the directory, which has friends of the show, such as Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming, Excite Wrestling, Organizational Links Support, and Black Lives Matter, and the amazing pod groups that we are in via their pod chaser pages. So shout out to pod nation, shout out to the Legion independent podcast, shout out to alternate reality radio, shout out to the apocalypse and shout out to hashtag six, seven podcast. And remember to go check out what they have going on over at eight, one, two, two productions with rich Ron, Mike C and hashtag big night. Cool. Still on Twitter pad. Oh Lord. Hasn't gotten kicked off yet. And he's going to be starting his boys rewatch. Oh Christ. On twitch.tv slash six or seven podcast. Very, very soon. That is must-see TV. I'd say so. All that and so much more at OchoDuroParleyHour.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only, Padawan J. 154 days, still no HBO Max app on Roku or Amazon Fire Stick. Nobody does it better than the pad. Nobody. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. (laughs) 